Adams. This is Todd. <laughs> This just, is Kathy Adams. Just roll with it. Just roll with I was going to say I'm Todd Adams, but I'm not. Um, welcome back to Zen Parenting Radio. Uh, Zen Parenting Radio is a discussion between a spiritual and emotional mom and a logical and practical dad. We have three daughters, count them, three, ages 7, 10, and 11. And our goal is to give you the resources to become a better parent. But more importantly, sweetie. To become a better you. Um, you know what? I have to stop on that. You already are a good you. So you're not trying to become a better you. You are trying to take off the layers to recognize how good you already are. Yeah. Because saying, saying to become a better you means that there's something you have to strive for. So should we switch our tagline to our goals to give you the resources to become a worse parent and more importantly, a worse you? <laughs> no. No, that's taking it too far. Oh. What I'm saying is that we say more importantly, a better you. And when people hear better, they think they have to like do more reps when they're working out. I love reps. Do you? Uh, no. Do you like to rip them out? I rip, rip them, them off. off. Those push-ups <laughs> with my nephew Max. I just feel like that it's not about, I have to be better, I have to be better. It's recognizing you're already good enough. How about that? You're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it. Gosh darn it, people like me. People like me. Um, so this is going to be episode 223. Okay. Um, which means it's Friday. I didn't tell you this, but this is the Friday podcast. Oh, okay. And I'll explain why later. Okay. So um, so today we're talking about Brian Stevenson. Yes. And we're talking about uh, entangle- entanglement. Entanglement. Quantum entanglement. And your advice before I press record today was... That's okay. Let's just be as stupid as we can be and we'll we'll figure it out. And what I mean by being stupid as we can be is Todd and I were trying to get... Explain what quantum entanglement is. Yeah, because it's part of quantum physics. And when you actually go on Wikipedia and look at entanglement, you're like, what? But the more that we can talk about it in layman's terms and talk about it, not be stupid, but just... Did you just just call me a layman? No. Is that the right thing? Layman's terms? I just thought you called me lame. No, I did not call you lame. Layman's terms. That's right. I did not call you a lame man. Right. I was trying to say that we're trying to talk about in everyday language rather than try to explain physics at that core level because, dude, over my head. Over. That's that's my sound effect for over, sweetie. Yeah, just a little too over. So, um, but I want to talk about the Empowerment Project. Okay. Uh, we have actually a partner slash sponsor of yes. uh, the Empowerment Project. Empowerment Project. We have a great organization that is helping us bring this movie, The Empowerment Project, to town. And again, The Empowerment Project is a movie about ordinary women doing extraordinary things. I'm going to play a quick clip from that movie. All right. 30 seconds. Girls on the Run is so much fun. I am the founder of Girls on the Run. I fight human trafficking. I have studied cancer cells for the past 35 years. I helped create the Oprah Winfrey Show. I'm the first African-American woman to achieve three stars in the United States military. I'm Miss USA 2012, but I'm so much more. I am a fashion stylist. I solve systems of nonlinear differential equations, and I love it. She loves it, sweetie. She could probably help us with quantum physics. I love that lady. Um, she loves so, math. So those are some people that are featured in this documentary um, on, what is it, on August, or no, May... May 18th. It's a Monday. May 18th. We are doing a we're doing a screening. York Theater. At York Theater. 7 p.m. 7 o'clock. And we have a partner slash sponsor of the show, and it's Comprehensive Clinical Services. Our buddy Dan Martinez, it's his practice. He's He's got a few different offices throughout the Chicagoland area. And he's got a lot of people. A lot of uh, therapists. Oh yeah, he's it's it's a there's quite a few resources. Comprehensive practice. Um, but for our 
purposes like they do, you know, individual therapy, marriage therapy, family therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and our their mission is to heal your symptoms so you can take a better path for your health and well-being. And this is their philosophy, which I love. Okay. At CCS, our philosophy is to use the least amount of medicine possible. Wow. Above, above everything else, CCS professionals... Safety and respect for individual choice is the goal. So check them out, discoverccs.org. You know, what's interesting is that, like, you know, Todd said, they're helping us bring this documentary to town, but I've been recommending them for a long time. Yes. So when I get a lot of emails from people saying, can you think of a family therapist or a therapist for my child? And I often send them to Dan and his uh, group. So, so discoverccs.org. And um, if you're interested in coming to the viewing on May 18th, uh, just go to the show notes or to our website. Zenparentingradio.com, click events, and then you can get uh, tickets right there. So sweetie, who's Brian Stevenson? So Brian Stevenson is this guy who, I don't know, a couple of years ago, my friend Manisha mentioned that he came to speak at a conference or an event that she went to. And she said, oh, he's just the greatest. And we heard her, but we didn't really follow through. Right. Well, then I someone sent me his TED talk, and um, or did we hear the NPR interview first? I don't, I don't know, but we watched his TED talk, and it's amazing. He runs something called the Equal Justice Initiative, and his mission is to focus on people who have been condemned to death, often unjustly, meaning they're innocent. He also focuses on children who are being tried as adults, like a 13-year-old who's on death row in an adult prison. He also focuses on basic human rights. Right. And one of the thing that he, one of the things that he says that I found very I don't know if you're going to play this clip, but it's about terrorism in our country. I don't I think that was a longer segment, so I think I left that one out. Well, let me share this because I think it'll give you a good perspective of how Brian is making us think and look at things differently. Um, before I say that, he also has an NP, uh, NPR interview on Fresh Air with Terry Gross, and he also did an interview with Alec Baldwin on the Here's the Thing podcast. So you can find a lot of interviews with Brian. Go on his website. We'll um, put all those in the show notes. Equal Justice Initiative. But for Todd and I, he is kind of a, he's a modern day hero because he's walking the walk in the most amazing way. And one of the things that he says is a lot of people he works with um, in, he lives in the South. He lives in Alabama. Alabama. They will say, Brian, please, when you're presenting, go out and say that we aren't just experiencing terrorism for the first time since Mm 9-11. It, terrorism was happening to the African-American community for a long period of time right. um, before anybody called it terrorism. Right. But people feared for their lives yeah. and there were lynchings and uh, you know bombings and just the basic human rights yeah. of these people where we kind of have tried to look – either push it away, not look at it at all or pretend it didn't happen. Right. And he – He's not willing to let us do that because it's affecting the way we talk about race today. Mm -hmm. We have to deal with our history if we are going to be able to do things in the present moment correctly. And I think I'm going to play a part of that when he talks about what it's like in Germany and all Perfect. that. Perfect. Good, good, good. I'll try to get to that one. So anyway, so, so, so Todd got to see, Todd and I got to see him. Yeah, we saw him last uh, Monday in Evanston at Evanston Township High School. And we should give a shout out to FAN because yep. they're the ones who brought him in. Yep, Family Action Network. And we'll put their link on our site as well because they have some wonderful resources and they bring all these um, amazing speakers in. So we're big fans big of Big fans of FAN. FAN. <laughs> Um, so it's going to be a clip heavy show because, so I'm going to play some clips from Brian Stevenson 
and his uh, TED Talk. This isn't from the talk that we heard, but this- They didn't record it. Right. They actually said, you're either here and hearing it or you're not going to hear it because- That's right. Yeah. So this is about just over a minute long, and here we go. Well, I've been trying to say something about our criminal justice system. Uh, This country is very different today than it was 40 years ago. In 1972, there were 300,000 people in jails and prisons. Today, there are 2.3 million. The United States now has the highest rate of incarceration in the world. We have 7 million people on probation and parole. And mass incarceration, in my judgment, has fundamentally changed our world. In poor communities, in communities of color, there is this despair, there is this hopelessness that is being shaped by these outcomes. One out of three black men between the ages of 18 and 30 is in jail, in prison, on probation, or parole. In urban communities across this country, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Washington, 50 to 60 percent of all young men of color in jail or prison or on probation and parole. Our system isn't just being shaped in these ways that seem to be distorting around race. They're also distorted by poverty. We have a system of justice in this country that treats you much better if you're rich and guilty than if you're poor and innocent. Wealth, not culpability, shapes outcomes. There you go. And that's just one piece of that TED Talk. So if you think that's good, you'll be riveted. Um, any comments on what he had to say? Well, I just think sometimes we, you know, when we hear those statistics, it's really sobering. It kind of wakes you up to what's going on in this country. And one of the the things that he talks about is how, as our because of our political agenda, and, it, and it's not one way or the other; it's a bipartisan issue. Um, a lot of times, what people want to get elected on is being tougher on crime. Right? They'll say, "I'm going to be tougher on crime," and a lot of things get created around um, the time that there's going to be an election. Mm -hmm. to get tougher on crime so someone gets elected. And we keep raising the bar of what that means. And what that means is we end up throwing more people in prison and doing that three strikes you're out thing. And for those of you who have had a crime committed against you or have had that you know experience of working in the criminal justice system, I'm not saying that people should not have consequences, but a lot of times throwing someone in prison for an extended period of time or it's not helping the process, one of the most important things that he talked about was, for example, uh, children. Mm-hmm. He talks about the narrative right. that we are, the stories that we tell ourselves to make things okay. Right. And one of the narratives that we have in this country based on an election from a while ago is that if a child commits an act of violence, especially if it's murder, that they are somehow then deemed a super predator. Yeah. And that somehow came out. I don't know what election that was. Do you remember? I don't. Okay, so it sounded familiar to me, though. Mm -hmm. Did that sound familiar to you, that whole concept of super predator? And so we as a country have found that as a narrative, like, ooh, a kid commits a crime. They're a super predator. We got to put them away. And so we're taking like a 13-year-old kid who – and and Brian works with these people. So he's able to give these real-life examples and make these people three-dimensional. So it's not just a story or a grouping. It's like this is a kid. He gave an example. It's too long of a story. But the basics of it was this kid was abused uh, by this man and this man abused his mother – he thought this kid who was 13 thought that this man had killed his mother and when the man – he was drunk – was asleep, this kid shot this man. Mm-hmm. OK. I'm not saying it's OK. But what not. I'm saying is within that story – and I'm not even giving you all the horrific yeah. details. Can you understand how this kid, thinking his mom is dead, yeah. got to this point? Well, 
he ended up being called a super predator. Yeah. He was put in a prison with men mm-hmm. and he was 13. Mm-hmm. And when Brian went to visit him, the kid – and again, it's a great story that he tells about how long it took the kid to talk. The kid didn't talk about his mom. Mm-hmm. The kid didn't talk about how he shot this guy. He talked about his first three nights in prison yeah. and how he had been raped and how he had been harmed so many times yeah. physically and emotionally and sexually that he couldn't even – tell the amount of stories. Why are we putting 13-year-old children in an adult prison? And that he – Brian is the one who's shining the light on this. Of course this kid has to deal Mm. with these actions. Mm -hmm. But the reason he became – he was labeled a super predator is because the man he shot happened to be a deputy sheriff. A deputy sheriff who was abusive and, you know, the story is difficult. Yes. There is not a piece of that story that is easy to weed out and say here's the right answer. Mm -hmm. But Brian's sticking up for the people who don't have a voice. And he's inspirational. So here's another clip in about another minute. And there is this stunning silence. I represent children. A lot of my clients are very young. The United States is the only country in the world where we sentence 13-year-old children to die in prison. We have life imprisonment without parole for kids in this country. And we're actually doing some litigation. The only country in the world... I represent people on death row. It's interesting, this question of the death penalty. In many ways, we've been taught to think that the real question is, do people deserve to die for the crimes they've committed? And that's a very sensible question. But there's another way of thinking about where we are in our identity. The other way of thinking about it is not, do people deserve to die for the crimes they commit, but do we deserve to kill? I mean, it's fascinating. Death penalty in America is defined by error. For every nine people who have been executed, we've actually identified one innocent person who's been exonerated and released from death row. There you go. (laughs) So, yeah, it gives you the chills. And like the whole TED Talk, and I might play another clip or two, but why are, what does this have to do with Zen parenting? This guy is walking the walk. He is an inspirational person. If you have children who are old enough that, and you happen to agree with many of the things that, uh, of the clips that we're playing, this is an eye-opening TED Talk. Right. Well, and it lets us look at he his – wouldn't you say that the word that describes Brian Stevenson is compassion? Mm-hmm. That he's able to look at something through a new lens of compassion rather than our our – belief system, this a story that we've been telling ourselves for so many years that we've forgotten to look at what we're really doing. Right. Do you ha- do you have answers to these things that he's posing? I don't. No, but the first step is awareness. Exactly. And the only way you deal with a problem, the only way you can make it better is by at least acknowledging that they exist. Yeah. And that's kind of what his whole thing is. So we've done historically. And we're constantly running into each other. We're constantly creating tensions and conflicts. We have a hard time talking about race. And I believe it's because we are unwilling to commit ourselves to a process of truth and reconciliation. In South Africa, uh, people understood that we couldn't overcome apartheid without a commitment to truth and reconciliation. In Rwanda, even after the genocide, there was this commitment. But in this country, we haven't done that. I was giving this lecture in, in Germany, some lectures in Germany about the death penalty. It was fascinating because one of the uh, scholars stood up after the presentation and said, well, you know, it's deeply troubling to hear what you're talking about. I said, well, we don't have the death penalty in Germany. And of course, we can never have the death penalty in Germany. And the room got very quiet and this woman said, uh, there's no way with our history we can ever engage in the systematic killing of human beings. It would be unconscionable for us. 
to, in an intentional, deliberate way, set about executing people. And I thought about that. What would it feel like to be living in a world where the nation state of Germany was executing people, especially if they were disproportionately Jewish? I couldn't bear it. It would be unconscionable. And yet, in this country, in the states of the old South, we execute people. Where you're 11 times more likely to get the death penalty if the victim is white than if the victim is black. 22 times more likely to get it if the defendant is black and the victim is white. Mm. Powerful, right? And here's here's why he's a wake-up call. Because really, we know this,、mm-hmm. right? Because for those of us who read the news or see the stories or you know pay attention to anything on you know even the fictional stuff on Law and Order、right. and that kind of thing, because that's usually a ripped from the headlines kind of thing, we know this is happening. Yet we've somehow created a, again, I'll use his language, story or a narrative that that's okay. Yeah, and and it's just. As Todd said, recognizing what's happening and how in places, because even in his TED talk, he even spoke of, or not in the TED talk when we heard him, he spoke of not just South Africa and Germany, but even Rwanda、mm-hmm. had to do reconciliation、yes. after what happened. You have to recognize what you have done,、mm-hmm. and not. And people will go, "Well, I didn't do it."、Yeah. It's about our country as a whole and what historically. Was done. In order to move on, you need to heal the wounds. You need to heal. This is really what Zen parenting is about, or、right. any kind of therapy, or any kind of healing process is about. See and notice what's underneath all of that. See, because we keep trying to solve problems on this surface level,、mm-hmm. and what's below, like. I can't imagine, you know. Todd and I、uh, drove to Florida、um, over the holidays, and I know a lot of you people who listen live in the South, or many of you have, you know, driven into the South. And there's a point when we're on our travels where you hit this place where there's this huge Confederate flag.、Right. Do you remember where I'm talking about? I remember you telling me about it, but I don't remember. Huge, and how there's like this crossing over where you realize, okay, I'm in the South now, and I can't imagine. As someone of color, what it would be like to see that Confederate flag? Because even though people will say, "Well, it's not connected to that," it inadvertently is. Right. Well, we tried to like sweep it under the carpet after you know the amendment got passed. Like, okay, we're done now. Let's move. Right.、On. Let's move on. And what he's saying is that we never fully. Dealt with that when it happened,、we、so we're still、honest. hanging on to it. People, so what he said, and again, I don't think I'm going to do his words justice, but we changed the laws, but we didn't change perceptions、right. or beliefs.、Yeah. So really, everything that's happening in 2015, especially the last however many months that we've been dealing with all these, you know, issues and riots and people being killed, and you know, and again, I don't have right and wrongs right. in here, but regardless. Why it's happening? What's underneath it?、Mm-hmm. Is our history? Yeah, and we keep passing along the same story. Maybe not by telling it, but about how we act. Or here's the difficult part: how we don't act. Yes, we kind of pretend things aren't happening,、mm-hmm. and、um, because it makes us uncomfortable, it does. And I, you know, I, are you going to play another clip? There's one. More. Okay, please go ahead. All right, here we go. And I actually believe that the TED community needs to be more courageous. We need to find ways to to embrace these challenges, these problems, the suffering, because ultimately our humanity depends on everyone's humanity. I've learned very simple things doing the work that I do. It's just taught me very simple things. I've come to understand and to believe that each of us 
is more than the worst thing we've ever done. I believe that for every person on the planet. I think if somebody tells a lie, they're not just a liar. I think if somebody takes something that doesn't belong to them, they're not just a thief. I think even if you kill someone, you're not just a killer. And because of that, there's this basic human dignity that must be respected by law. There you go. It, what that reminded me of um, is that when we screen The Mask You Live In, um, a piece of the movie is focusing on a group of men who are on death row and how they are being moved through uh, a self-awareness training so yeah. they can understand – again, this connects so well – their history yeah. and how they got to where they are. And these men who who committed horrific crimes, like many of them murdered people, and they, are, they were able to tell their story and recognize – all the pain and suffering that they experience and lack of dignity that led to the pulling of that trigger right. and that they really didn't have a desire to kill someone per se, but they had been pushed. Like one guy said, I had no power in any area of my life. You mm-hmm. know, he was neglected and abused and his mom told him he was nothing and he had no – and he said pulling that trigger was the first time I felt powerful. He said, yet – Five minutes afterwards, the consequences were the rest of my life. So is that man just a killer? No way. Well, I don't know. I feel like what we talk about on the show is um, the the natural human state of compassion. Yeah. And that's something that you and I are trying to cultivate in 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 our little way through this podcast. In ourselves first Mm -hmm. and then in through the message because this is not something you just get to talk about. Todd and I have to work very hard to recognize our own issues. Well, and what I feel like it's like uh, it's easy to love your friends. Um, what's hard is to love people who have done things that have harmed other people or harmed us or harmed ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I feel like that's that, you know, once because that's something that everybody struggles with. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the, the, the human condition has the capacity and there's plenty of YouTube clips out there. Like I remember I saw a YouTube clip a little while ago and I don't know how I stumbled across it, but it was about this, uh, man got up, uh, this man's, I think brother was murdered or something like that. And, uh, before the sentencing of the person who did it in court, uh, he was given the opportunity to speak and it was all about love and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And like, I forgive you. I know that you did not do this with a sound mind. Right. And, and that is like the, like, would I be able to do that? Would I have the strength to do that? I have no idea. I hope I never have to find out. But the fact that human beings have the ability to love their enemy. Capacity. The capacity is something that we're trying to maybe nurture. Or to not even use enemy, but to to have compassion for another human being and their experience once they go through their own grieving process. Because I think when you go through an entire grieving process, when you don't stifle it or make it become anger, you recognize at the tail end of it, it's all about compassion. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting because I think a lot of people listening who are very set in their ways about things like this, they think that having compassion means letting people off the hook. Just like people who listen to the show and think that having respect for your child means being permissive. Like they, they, they put these things together that aren't together. Right. You can forgive someone and still recognize that there will be consequences for their behavior, maybe not just by our judicial system, but their own internal right. hellish consequences that they have to deal with. Right. And in and partly it'll be the you know judicial system too. Same with, you know, it's the exact same thing 
with parenting, you can be respectful and loving towards your child and still have a set of you know boundaries in your home that they are expected to follow through with. Well, what's interesting about that example I said about that that man forgiving the person who killed his relative uh-huh. is some people might think, well, you know, he set that man free in and a, in a sense. Really, what he was doing, he was setting himself, himself free because he could have held on to that grudge for the rest of his life. And that would have been toxicity just stewing in his insides for decades and decades and decades. So it's really not even as much about the other person as it is about yourself. And if you can have that awareness to forgive, not just for the sake of human of mankind, but for your own well-being. That's what it's about. We're such grudge holders sometimes. And we think what's, you know, what's the phrase that we always use, you know, like... We drink the poison and expect someone else to die. Exactly. So anyways. Well, and on that note, that's really it, is when you realize, you know, the focus of the show is you have to look at yourself and you have to look at your own history. You have to look at why you do things, what triggers you, because what that does is it frees you. Mm -hmm. This is not about, oh, you know, everything's about doing things for other people. It will inevitably help other people in your life, meaning you'll have a better connection with your partner, you'll be a better parent, you'll probably enjoy your job more, and you will be more compassionate toward others. So that will be an offshoot. But the the whole point of self-awareness is for you to be free. Yeah. For you to quit carrying around, you know, we'll talk about narratives again, narratives about yourself that aren't true. You know, that you that you are enough Mm. as you are. Like that's why I stopped Todd at the beginning of the show and said um, you know, it's not about becoming better and that you have to take another class and do another thing. And, you know, it, it's about recognizing that you've always been enough. Right. And that's a practice because that's the other thing I want to talk about is there's not every moment of the day you don't feel that way. I sure don't. But the practice is getting back to that place and and making choices from that place. Because if we were making choices from that place, we would not be putting 13-year-old children on death row. Exactly. Because that comes from a place of fear and that comes from a societal narrative mm-hmm. that says – that get, that puts the fear in us that if we don't put this child away for life, that they're somehow going to become this you know destructive person in the world when – all they've experienced is destruction against them. Them, yeah. They have been the ones who have been harmed their whole life, and compassion. And and again, that's the start. How do we solve all these problems? I don't know. I just know we have to talk about it. That's right. After Brian talked, um, it was Todd and his sister and I were there listening. And when he was done, I leaned over to both of them. I'm like, "What do we do? Yeah. Like, how do we take this message?" Um, you know, we don't do the kind of work that Brian does. We're not lawyers. We're not going into the prison. But what can we do? And I think the thing we can do is just people get people to listen to him. Yeah, yeah. And all the links will be on uh, this show's unparentingradio.com slash 223. So uh, check it out. So before we move on to the next topic, yes. I feel like we need to break it up a little bit just because they're both kind of heavy. <laughs> so think? we're going to do... Tournament of bad. Tournament of bad. So um, you and I have experience driving by different restaurants lately Uh uh and a lot of Mexican restaurants. Yes. And do you know what I'm about to say? Yes, yes. What's with everything being crazy? (laughs) Just like in our little three-mile radius around our house, there's El Tio Loco, there's Pollo Loco. (laughs) 
There's a lot of like crazy things. <laughs> the crazy uncle is another one. Yeah. Is well, that... El Tio Loco El Tio is Tio the crazy okay. uncle. And then there's the crazy chicken. <laughs> and there's a lot of other locos. I want to start by saying Mexican food is probably my favorite food in the whole world. I I go back and forth between Mexican and, and Italian. Italian. Italian is number one or number two. You're right. I go back and forth. So I'm always looking right. for a great Mexican restaurant. But Todd and I were cracking up driving by because we're like, does someone want to eat a crazy yeah, chicken? Yeah, like, like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> Let's eat a crazy chicken versus a sane chicken. I know. So it's just, it's funny the the way we use language. And there may be a lot of people who did not, who do not speak Spanish and they do not know that loco means And crazy. maybe we don't understand. Maybe there's somebody with Mexican heritage out there that, that needs to, that's what we decided. Yeah. What's, what's up with the loco? Because maybe what we decided is maybe there's not a, a simple translation. Mm-hmm. Maybe loco we, means good. Yeah. Or it means something beyond crazy. Well, like I did excited. take four years of Spanish in high school, well, it wasn't sweetie. Enough. Uh, but I don't remember the loco discussion. Well, because the literal translation is crazy, but we all know how languages do not. Well, it could have 85 different meanings for exactly. all we know. So, all right. So the next thing is entanglement. Kind of interesting territory for you Do you, you have your I. weird science clips? Um... <laughs> it's That's, not scary. Um, it's not Jaws. It's not boring no, either. No, this is going to be good. So entanglement. I am not a scientist. You're not? Let's be clear. Okay. But uh, the best way that I can describe quantum entanglement as understood from a podcast that we listen to, listen to an NPR podcast, it's actually called Invisibilia. And that will also be on the show notes. Uh, but they started the first five minutes of the podcast explaining what this is. And the way they described it, you can interrupt me. Or well, no. I was going to say, but this, we had also learned this in the I Am documentary. Yes, and I was we, actually going to pull up some clips from that too, but it was too long. And we also learned that we went to see Deepak Chopra speak about five years ago, and he explained entanglement in his own way. So this is this is a, you know, something and, that we've and, heard a lot. And the most generic layman's terms uh, of describing it is like one thing is affected by something else that appears to have no connection whatsoever. And they explain it like they spin an electron and it's spinning and then they they observe another electron that has no relation to it. It could be on the other side of the room or the other side of the earth and that other electron will start spinning and they don't understand why. They can't see the connection. This is an Einstein thing. Right. Like where it like blew his mind and I think they called it did they call it scary science or yeah. weird science or it's like one of those things that they cannot theorize. Right. I mean it's literally just called entanglement. Right. <laughs> so um within do you want to explain the lady a little bit or do you want me to just play my thing? Why don't you go ahead and play it and then we'll... So there's this... Well, let's play it and hopefully it, uh, it makes sense. But if it doesn't, we'll, we'll explain, explain it, it on the other side. She feels everything the people around her physically feel. You know, when I tell people that, I'd sound completely insane, you know, like an idiot. But Amanda says that these ghost feelings, they have always been there ever since she was small. Yeah, I think I was about three... At a Christmas party or something, they had this boy. He was older than me, and um, people were hugging him like they hadn't seen him in a while. They knew the family and stuff like that. And I remember feeling like I was being hugged watching him. So someone at the party would come up and hug the boy, and little Amanda, a couple feet away, would feel it. 
It, it was like a warm rush up the spine and just constricted uh, the shoulder area here like this. And I followed him around like the whole entire evening because it was just so nice. He'd get a hug. She'd get a little hug. A warm rush. He'd get a hug. She'd get a little hug. And, I mean, that was the first time I, I can remember it clearly. And I thought everybody felt that. So there's another minute to it, but that's... Pause right there? Yeah, pause Well, there. because when you brought the clip in, it kind of cut off. And basically what they said is this woman... Um, has a thing where she can feel what other people are feeling. And there's actually a name for it. Are they going to play the name? There's I, a, I don't think it's in my clip. Well, it's actually, they've studied it. Yeah, there's a diagnosis. There's a diagnosis of this. For and what this is. hers is she can literally feel physical feelings of what someone else is feeling. And this is beyond mirror neurons. Mm -hmm where all of us have mirror neurons, which means that we feel when someone else is hurt or when someone else is feeling sad, we can identify with that and have compassion and often be moved mm -hmm. to tears about it. But we're not feeling the physicality. Right. We're identifying with the feeling yeah. that's connected to It's more of a mental construct yeah. than an actual physical, physical feeling. So, so do you want to play the rest of this yeah. before we go on? Basically, whenever Amanda sees someone... She physically experiences some version of what they physically experience. So when, as we were talking, I scratched my ear, Amanda felt a, a little, little tickle. tickle right here. <laughs> or when I gave myself a little slap, just a test, Dude. Amanda felt it too. It's totally fine. <laughs> and in Amanda's home, you can actually see strange physical traces of living with this condition. For instance... There's no real dining table in her house because Amanda can't eat around other people. Gosh, um, it feels like they're shoving food in my mouth and I'm trying to eat and they're shoving their forks in my mouth. And it's like this thing piled on top of itself. And it's terrible. So I just think that that's beyond what lessons we're going to bring out of this. I just think it's pretty fascinating. Well, and so how does this relate to entanglement? This is by definition a an example of entanglement where something is happening somewhere and somebody is being affected literally physically by that other person. Right. Now, when Todd brought this to my attention, he said he emailed me while I was in Kansas City a couple weekends ago and said, you have to listen to this. And so I started listening to it and, you know, appreciated what they were saying about entanglement because the first part of it is all about Einstein yeah. and what it is. And then the next part of the podcast is the story of this woman. And when I first started listening, I kind of freaked out and sat down because it ends up I'm not really like this woman. Hers is so much more extreme right. and physical. But I've been telling my husband and maybe you guys, if you read what I write, that I can feel what other people feel in a way that I kind of don't understand why other people can't. Right. Like when someone walks in the room with our kids a lot, um, one of our daughters will walk in and I'll say something to Todd like she's having a hard day. Mm -hmm. And it's not that you're like, what? But you you aren't really a feeling. I'm not tuned in. You're not tuned in to what she's That's feeling. the thing. What they, what they explain in this podcast is everybody has this everybody. ability if you remove the layers and allow yourself to feel it. Um, some people genetically have a disposition to have it really intensely and others not so intensely. Right. You are closer to this woman than I am because I have the ability to kind of set barriers up in my mental construct where I don't feel 
anything that somebody else is experiencing, and you do. Yeah, and and I think that um, there's many things. Like Todd said, we all have the capacity. The thing that was interesting for me is that I experienced this as a kid, and I thought everybody did. Mm -hmm. So it didn't seem like special or different or whatever. It's when you start talking to people and you you recognize, or the example that that Todd and I uh, use or that I write about a lot is I struggle past a certain point of my own like I get to a point in the day where I have kind of used all my energy and I can no longer be with people. And an example is when a pizza guy or a delivery guy is coming to the door, I will say, Todd, can you please get the door? I don't want to get it. So before you follow through with that. Yes. In the beginning, uh, that frustrated me. And when I say in the beginning, the earlier days of our marriage, I'd be like, no, I'm working. You go do it <laughs> because it didn't make any sense to me. Like all you do is you give the guy money. Like, I don't, I can explain this very logically and it doesn't make any sense. Like, what is your problem, Kathy? Why do you have such a hard time giving the pizza man 20 bucks? Or if you weren't annoyed at me, you laughed at it. Yes. And you thought, or maybe both or maybe both. And the, the thoughts that always ran through my head is he thinks I'm being lazy yes. or he thinks I'm being shy or antisocial. Mm-hmm. And none of those words apply to what's happening. Right. So what is happening when you hand the pizza guy money? <laughs> what's happening is when I'm with somebody, I can feel what's going on with them. And if I have enough energy, that's not a problem. It actually helps me in my line of work because right. I can kind of tap into something. And let me be clear. I'm not psychic. I can't read anyone's thoughts. I'm saying that I can like detect an energy from that person and I can kind of go into that place. When I answer the door for the pizza guy, I feel him too. Mm -hmm. So if I'm depleted, it's work for me to have a two-minute conversation with him. Right. And I don't know him. I don't know his name. It takes so much more energy for you you to give the guy money and say thanks and have a good day than it does me. If we were to... uh, if we we're going to measure energy, we'll call it whatever, energy protons. Right. It would take me 10 energy protons to do this action. It would take you a 1,000. It would. And and depending on where I am, if I'm depleted and I've already had a day of work and I've been with the kids and I've done all these things, then I literally don't have anything left for that guy. Right. If it's the middle of the day, it's kind of a non-issue. Right. I can, I'm just kind of going through the day. But let me pick up on – let me say something. Is the thing that – this is the kind of weird woo-woo science, again, that I've experienced my whole life, is a lot of times people can pick up on somebody who can feel what they're feeling. And so I have people that I don't know very well tell me really deep things. Mm-hmm. And I have – and I don't think I'm alone in this. I think there's a lot of people who go, me too. Right. I think that other people can feel when somebody else can feel what they're feeling. And so they will tell that person something because they know they're at like a level to hear it. Right. I have had a lot of weird examples, but probably my weirdest that I share a lot is when I was at – this was about two and a half years ago. I was at Potbelly's mm-hmm. and I was working on my computer and there was these two guys sitting eating and they looked like they were having a business lunch. And then they got up and I kind of made eye contact with this one guy and we smiled. And then he came over to my table and he said, did you know that I didn't get that bike when I was a kid? And I was like, no, I said, I didn't. I said, that must have really sucked. And he goes, I just, I didn't get it. And it it was what I wanted. And he kind of went on this like tangent. And I said, I'm sorry to hear that. That must have been difficult. And I didn't know any, again, I don't. Why was he telling you this? I don't know. I have no idea. So he just walks up to you and says... We made eye contact. 
he we made like a connection like where I was like hello and yeah. and he would you know at, at I was sitting at the table at Potbelly's right up against the yeah. window with the two bar stools and he was at the table next to me right. so we weren't really far away he right. didn't like cross a room right. Right. but we had made enough of a connection that he came over and started in the middle of a story interesting and I still don't know what the whole story was but what he was trying to say to me is that really was difficult for me and I don't really care what the rest of the story is mm-hmm. because all he wanted to hear was that that was difficult and then he walked away. I didn't think much of it. And then about five, ten months later when I got my reality feet back where I realized what was going on, I was like, that was crazy. Hmm. Because usually it's not so literal. Usually it's I'm doing um, – I'm across the table from somebody and they're telling me something and I can feel how they feel about it. Right. Meaning I can tell if they're being defensive about it, if they're angry about it. They may say I'm not angry at all right. and I can completely feel that they're angry or I'm not sad or I'm over it and I'm – and. And so usually it's a little more of a therapeutic right. intervention. Um, that was just a, a crazy one. Well, um, and uh, one lesson that I think can be derived from this, aside from the specifics of what you have the ability to do, it's that it's more of a compassion towards your partner for whatever reason. Like we all have our quirks, right? Right, right. And just because I don't have the quirk that you do yeah. – like I used to view the world like, well, if it wouldn't bother me, oh, then it shouldn't bother you. Yeah. And that's kind of how we all go through life. Like, well, that wouldn't bother me, so it shouldn't bother you. You are my wife and I love you. And if it bothers you, why do I care? But it took me years to figure out that lesson. So the lesson to be learned in this situation is we all have it. So instead of trying to logically explain away why Kathy shouldn't have a hard time answering the door for the pizza guy as the husband, let's just have our wife's wife's back and and hand the money to the pizza guy as the wife and the husband doesn't like to do certain things. Think l- allow for allow that. for that to happen. Yeah. Because to Todd's point, like I feel like we had this guy um, who's going to be on next Friday, Roman, yeah. who's kind of the, the empathy guy. And I think I've already said this, but it, it works here too is – you know, a lot of times we go by the golden rule, do unto others as you would have people do to you. Mm-hmm. But instead he talks about in empathy, it's about the platinum rule, which is do unto others as they would have done to themselves, right. which means that – Instead of Todd being like, you need to be more like me, you need to be less shy, less lazy, I'm going to throw you to the... Well, can you see the parenting correlation here? Absolutely. We do this to kids all the time. Yeah. This shouldn't bother you because it doesn't bother me. Yet we're not thinking about that this kid may have a different level of feeling or sensitivity to the world. Frustration tolerance. Frustration tolerance. Brain development, um, you know, so biological just meet differences. Your kid, where he or she is at, exactly. Instead of, hey, I'm a grown man, I'm mature, I've got 40 years of experience, and I'm going to tell you that you shouldn't feel this way. And you know, here's the thing: this is where people get really stuck, Todd. Um, is they get stuck on, well, I think you should push your kids a little. I think you should push them out of their comfort zone. I think you should, um, and and I I'm not saying that you can't somehow give your kids a boost of confidence. But you know how you do that? You believe in them. We just watched uh, Coach V's yeah. 30 by... 30, Jimmy V. Jimmy V. What what was it? A 30 by 30? 30 for 30. 30 for 30. Um, and it was all about his... Well, it was all about how he took his um, team and, to, State, and, yeah, to the Final Four. But he also talked about his relationship with his dad. And what his dad did for him was he would just say, I believe in you. Yeah. And when Jimmy would fail... 
or not have Which success he did a all lot. The time. His dad would say, oh, it's all right. I yeah. believe in you. You're yeah. going to do great. And again, a lot of us get stuck on, well, but they didn't win. So that's a lie. What, doing great and success just means I appreciate who you are. And whatever that looks like, I believe in you. Well, and we got to start thinking about closing the okay. show. But we what we have to realize is that uh, we, uh, for us, for Kathy and I, we need to create a culture in our household that says that failure is so important and so normal and, and invite it to happen. Because I think a lot of the times, if you don't have a success, then you feel like, you know, telling your kids what they need to do differently instead of just support them and learning from it and get back up and do it again. And trust that they will then redirect themselves because this is this the comment that I've gotten a lot of emails from people recently about the thing that people disagree with me or with us the most about is giving children choices. They'll say, um, I don't think we should give you know children this many choices because what if you know they don't want to go to school, which is crazy. Of course, kids need to go to school. It's a it's a law, you know, unless you're homeschooling. And so, or like in the summer, well, I'm not going to give my kids choices. I'm going to make them being in these activities. Well, here's the thing. If you work full time, then your kids have to be doing something. I understand that. I'm not saying give them a choice whether or not they can stay home alone or do these things. What I'm saying is within the boundaries and confines of your family, what kind of choices can you give your child? And when you give them those choices, can you believe in that they are going in the correct direction for themselves? The only way that they're going to know how to go in their own direction is if you stay out of it. Mm-hmm. Because if you tell them what to do and why, they're never going to be able to hear their own internal dialogue, right. which is them feeling that that sense of self. Yeah. If we keep telling our kids who they are and what to do, they can't hear that. Yeah. We drown out their own voice. So that's what I mean by choice. If they need to be in a day camp all summer because you're working, then that's what needs to happen. Right. That's that's great. But There's figure no out a way to give them choices. But it, within that, give them some choices. So that was a lot. It was a lot. Kind of a heavy show, but a good one. But good. Not heavy, sad. Right. But heavy, like, go there. Yeah. Awareness. Not an easy one. Not easy, right. So a few things. One is sign up on our website to get all podcasts and blogs sent directly to your inbox. Um, Share our show as best you can or as best you feel like it. We did get some reviews, sweetie. Let's hear it. Um, Let's see. Uh, Patricia, I don't know if I'm allowed to use her last name, but she gave us five stars and says it's a great, unique, and enriching parenting podcast. And then good old Tracy from Sweden gave us 50 stars. And she goes on and talks about how much she loves us and all that. So, Patricia and Tracy, thank you. Yeah, you guys are awesome. Um, Appreciate uh, those reviews. Oops, I was going to do that. And um, anything else you want to promote? Sweetie, you have two books, three books. I do. uh, How do you get your hands on one of those? Well, The Self-Aware Parent 1, Self-Aware Parent 2, and Living What You Want Your Kids to Learn, The Power of Self-Aware Parenting, Amazon or my website, kathycadams.com. I also want to remind you guys to get your tickets for The Empowerment Project. You can bring children nine or above. Um, So I would bring your daughters, make it a date night with your daughters, and bring your sons too. There's no reason that they won't appreciate this. Be nice for boys to be able to witness strong women. Exactly, and to see to kind of get their their world broadened by yes. what's out there so make it a date not night just with a your girl kids. thing yeah um and then uh just do us a favor and tell one friend about our podcast that's yeah. your that's your invitation for this week mm-hmm. um and that's all i got anything else sweetie well i had all sorts of like quotes and stuff but you know what there's no time words of wisdom well you know what it doesn't go with this sweetie, show. just make it good um I'm, don't I'm, think just <laughs> talk Open your mouth and just let... I got it. 
From the beginning, the key to renewal has been the casting off of old skin. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good because we're talking about getting rid of layers that we no longer need that tie us down, that keep us connected to untrue stories. It's not as good as mine, though. What is yours? I know what yours is. Keep trucking. (laughs) Adios. Adios. Have a good weekend.